When's the last time you did some sort of feature matrix thing for a bake-off or an analyst report? Um, Where I had to, like, complete one? Yeah, yeah, or or work on a team doing it, or you know, you know. Yeah, I don't know, like uh, an hour ago. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> I, I have, uh, for better or for worse, I have, I do, I do these quite often. Yeah. At least the ones where I don't create them. I'm usually responding to oh, sure. a matrix somebody else has created, and I have a lot of thoughts on, and I could go on and on about the, you know, I I don't even know where to begin with the magic quadrant. I just I'm gonna start with like. The fact that this is still done mostly emailing Excel files is, I mean, I'm like 20 plus years into this. Yeah. And like all the digital transformation in the world, we're still doing the same thing. Like we're trying to edit text in an Excel file is, I mean, it, it's not just painful. It's it's damn near impossible, but it never ends. It's never ending, Kote. It will yeah. never change. Yeah. So so what is, what is your, uh, and just to be clear, I am in no way involved in any of this at the moment. Hopefully that I that I know of. I'm just I just this is what occurred to me as we started talking. Like, what is what's the process you follow? Like, just broadly, like you know, you're uh, you know, like in in your mind. Let's, let's going down this. Let's combine together two two things other than the goal that you're trying to achieve. One, you're trying to like you know do the work and do a good job at it. You know, and you got to kind of like structure what you're going to be doing. And then two. I think you also need to figure out some ways to kind of like take care of yourself psychologically as you're going through this process. Right. And, and you've <laughs> got to like, you've got to like make sure it doesn't like break you, uh, doing this work. And so like what, uh, you know, like I, I, I send you, uh, we're going to have a bake off between, um, five different types of enterprise prawn chips that, that I could buy. You ever had these prawn chips? They're all over here in, in the Netherlands. They're like these, oh. they're very like thin, um, I think they're maybe made out of rice, so it's kind of they're they're like kind of the size of like a um, Tostitos round uh, tortilla chip, but they're like they're kind of rice based, and uh, the really good ones have like you know prawn or fish juice on them. It's a very Indonesian sort of chip, but there's a lot of movies. So let's say you know I'm just making up something, right? Like you got you got your your uh, enterprise prawn chip platforms, right? And uh, you work for one of them. And you have been sent, I don't even know if it's a spreadsheet or whatever, but you've been told to help participate in uh, a, a bake-off or a magic quadrant or whatever. Like, what what do you do? Clean desk. What do you do? Well, I mean, I think, you know, it all starts before the game. But, you know, the game is usually won or lost before the spreadsheet is sent, right? So first and <laughs> foremost, if you were really intending on utilizing whatever response, whether this is RFP, analyst response, whatever. Ideally, what you need to have done has been meeting with the people that were putting together this criteria, this spreadsheet, this bake-off ah. for months, potentially weeks, or months, potentially years in advance. So, like, you know, you, you, Kote, I know you have, you know, your previous life, one of your lives was as an analyst. It's like, well, one of the reasons that you meet with an analyst on an ongoing basis is to develop some mutual understanding of a market. And you do that by saying, for example, if I'm a vendor, I'm going to present you a point of view. Uh, and within that point of view, I'm going to come up with a set of feature benefits and criteria that hopefully are derived from like how you see the customer, but you're also trying to influence that analyst, right? Yeah. Well, this is how they think of it. And you know, the, the holy grail in any product marketing activity is to like help create a new category. So like if I was working with you as an analyst and we'll just make it up, right? You know, it's like, 
like observability would be like, I, well, that's not a made up one. That's something mm. that's sort of come up, right? People said like, hey, monitoring isn't enough anymore. There should be this new thing called observability, right? right, right so the right. observability crowd, like you meet with an ongoing set of analysts, you keep pushing new information in front of them, and hopefully they create a category around a lot of your ideas. Now, in order for an analyst to do that, they would want to see a few other vendors or clients raise that information. But so kind of like using this example, if you want to win the observability, you know, bake off, you should have been the one of the people helping define the category and ultimately determining the criteria for inclusion in that category yeah. and what makes a good observability solution. This is generally what, you know, I the most forward thinking biggest companies like need to be doing. Now, startups often just kind of fall into it backwards, right? They just like people like for example, you know, uh, another way to come at that would be People have been doing monitoring for a long time. They're just like, this doesn't work. They develop all these new practices. They start showing it to other customers and vendors. Uh, and then the ultimately, the analyst comes up for a word for them. They're like, actually, this is a new category, right? Mm. And so, but whatever, that's going to be, when you're in that position, you're likely to win, win this, right? When you're at the position of you're just, like, you've never seen the spreadsheet and you don't know who's even sending it before you get an email, you Ooh, have no a good. very, very uphill battle to even contend in that category. And, and have, you, have, you, have you ever been in the case where they send you a spreadsheet for a category you do not think you're in? I mean, we're kind of narrowed down to analysts here, but it could also be like buyers. And they're just sort of like uh, they're either barking up the wrong tree or they brought the wrong tree and you're the right. Yeah, barking. no, all the time. Right. I think you have a couple of different things that often happen. One, sometimes analysts for their own reasons, are trying to create a new category that, frankly, nobody thinks exists. Like, they've tried to group a bunch of, like, disparate vendors together. Maybe it's, like, 10 or 15 that that they've started to meet with and they're starting to get going uh, and that they ultimately have their own motivations, right? They really kind of see some similarities. But really, even if you talk to the vendors as well as the um, potential customers, they don't necessarily see it all grouped together. And a lot of times these end up with, like, I would say any... Um, five letter acronym is often like a, a potential key that like wait a minute you know mm. maybe this isn't right it's like identity monitoring security management you're like ah, i don't think all this goes together right yeah. so that happens quite a bit and then the other thing that happens um and i think this is just something that's there's maybe no solution to it but it's it's really hard is that like we all think of our, you know, we all define our own metrics in some way, right? And what happens a lot of times is like in analysts, people kind of become so wedded to the way they view the world that they may ask for data in formats that like doesn't exist somewhere. And so I'll just give you like a hypothetical example, right? You're, yeah. you're at your house, right? These chips. It's like, um, so I really want to see, so maybe, for example, you're a user of chips. So I was like, you know, what I really want to do is I want to understand um, the consumption of chips. So I'll just say like, Kote, uh -huh. like, can you send me the number of chips uh, eaten in your house per hour? And you're like, I have no idea. Like, I don't, you know what I mean? I'm, this isn't even a number I would ever track. I don't even think this is relevant. But yeah. they kind of get like in these weeds of like, well, wait a minute, chips per hour per consumption. Well, why don't you give me bags? You're like, I don't know. We don't really like, we just eat dinner and sometimes uh, my son goes in and grabs a chip. I don't know. We don't record that. It's not important to yeah. us. And if, if you think about it, a lot of the analyst reports are really, I mean, I, I cannot tell you how foolish they are in some of the information they request. It's like, if they just thought for a few minutes. <laughs> I, lo I love this right? tone that's emerging uh, in your voice. It's very, Yeah, I well, I think if they just thought for a few minutes about, I, I need to gather data, but I need to gather data 
in a format that the you know in this case the uh, the the questioners or the people completing surveys that they likely have. Like if I'm asking yeah. for data that they don't necessarily even track or they have to really track and do some weird things, like I'm probably not going to get that data the right way. And it would, the the flip side of it would just would be like me going to a Gartner analyst and be like, you know what I need to see is like words per minute. How many words per minute are you speaking <laughs> or writing? Because that's what I'm, and they would say, well, that's a ridiculous statistic. Like I do reports, I could give you reports and I would, and they would even say like, well, a, a short report may be better than a long report. You know, like, my, that's my, what uh, I'm tracking, right? my, but it, my old friends at four or five, one would win that bake off words per minute by, by yeah, a long shot. Group, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just think, but it, you know, I mean, and again, those are sort of like very cherry picked, you know, stupid examples, but I, I don't, you know, it's not that I don't understand what they're trying to do, but they want to normalize data, but they really need to think about what they're asking. And, and, yeah. and just sending a survey over to uh, people because they do have some power here. It's like, well, if you've sent me a survey and I want to do well, I'm really less likely to criticize your questions. I mean, I'll do that mm. behind your back, of course, but I won't like, I'll be like, oh, thank you so much for the survey. Let me get right on this. But behind the scenes, I'm like looking at our analytic data. I'm like, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know where to get any of this stuff. So yeah. then you have to make estimates and, you know, and again, all of it. So anytime I see IDC or Gardner data, I'm always like, hmm. You know, it's good, but it may not be 100% accurate, depending on what they're trying to actually uh, uh, do. And that's why I like to maybe bring in like Netflix. I don't know, just to just to throw something out. Like Netflix this week in their earnings, they just like redefined what it means to watch a movie. It used to be you have to watch 70%. Now it's you have to watch three minutes. And I'm like, Whoa, I respect that game. Like that, I don't about know about that. Game. <laughs> they're like, I'm just like, okay, like movies watched this quarter. Like I'm, this is an important number to you. I'll just redefine it. So we go from, you know, an order of magnitude <laughs> of like 50. So again, I didn't like see analysts, it. you got to like, but if you were like analysts covering that space, you got to ask good questions and think about the data, right? Not just like <laughs> tell me how many movies you watch because you really leave it to the vendors to figure out. I, I, that's I, that's hilarious about Netflix. Which, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's funny. It's funny when companies like that define their uh, define some metric like that, and it kind of it kind of connects back to one of the things you're saying is like, you know. Uh, and it's not that Netflix accidentally fell into this, but it's just like kind of a category somewhat of its own. I mean, I guess you could compare it to like Amazon Prime and like Disney Plus now, but there's not that and maybe sort of Hulu, but there's not really that many like pure streaming thing businesses. So like so it's also one of those. I, yeah, these kind, I, I, I think I know what what uh, what confuddles me to put two words together is just like um maybe they should just track how much money they make right but, <laughs> but like, how, so, however no. however however i know they can't because you know wall street has to value them in the future right so they've got to come up with some model of like what is the direction of of their their never mind assuming revenue is an important part of valuation which often is uh but like we're going to make a model that determines what value they, they're going to have in like three, six and 12 months. So we can advise about buy, sell, hold or whatever. And so that we can value the price of it. And we need more indicators than just like backward looking how much revenue they made. So if right. we have but like take up the Netflix side of this for a second. Like, so, OK, you're at Netflix and this, let's just say they're, they're getting some survey. Say, hey, these people, they just sent us a thing that um, they want to know how many uh, movies per subscriber. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Right. That's good. But. Yeah. But we know, right, like at Netflix, I'll tell you what we know. We know that really all that matters is 
subscriber and churn rate, new subscribers and churn rate. Yes. That's really what cares about this business. And we may know because we're like really savvy about our business. It's like people don't just buy Netflix to watch movies. The reason they buy it is they want access. They just want the access to thousands of movies, right? That's really one of the key values. It's the fact that they, it's not even so much that they're using it all the time. It's the fact that they can sit down and know to themselves, I have over a thousand new movies I can watch at any moment. That's really the value. So like, I mean, we can debate that, but like, that's where they're getting to. Like, we know our business, Mr. Analyst. And then the fact that like, we provide this insurance policy of just knowing that you have all these movies, that's what people are really getting value about, right? They don't actually need to watch. You still there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. They don't. You cut off on. They don't actually need to watch. But whatever. I'll edit it. You don't need to repeat. I'm sure it was a great idea. <laughs> That's that sounds terrible. Uh, yeah, I I think I think that point of like of like the way you define your value and worth, even in the most genuine way, is not always going to be the way someone tracks uh, what that is. And so, yeah, I can imagine that showing up all the time. And and to even simplify it, right? Like, or not simplify it, but to make. Uh, back to the computer world, right? Like I, I, I imagine the way people price things causes all sorts of issues, right? Like you got socket pricing or you might price by this or, you know, like um, pivotal stuff is, is priced um, on, on the, uh, uh, the processes or the number of containers that you run and you buy. It's just like pricing stuff is always uh, really odd. So comparing it that way is, is difficult, but yeah, I, I think I think that makes sense. Now, now something related to that, you know, as you can imagine, I've been looking at a bunch of Kubernetes stuff recently. Now, now that I'm <laughs> sure. uh, in in the in the Tanzu world, and uh, and I I, uh, I haven't thought this this way in a while, but I, I've been trying to categorize. Uh, I don't even uh, part of what the question I have for you is I don't know what how to describe what this is. But like I've been trying to think about like what the identity or like the deal is with each of the Kubernetes distros, right? And the, and you know I'm not so much asking like f what we think of each distro, but like there is sort of like this brand or identification that you have with even enterprise infrastructure software, and it seems like I don't know, like like I feel like you know Red Hat, you know Rel versus Windows Server has very different identities. <laughs> <laughs> and very different, like, and but but you know, they're basically the same thing, right? They 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 achieve the same outcome. Uh, you pay for both of them. They're just like some stuff that no one ever sees except some operations people that have to make sure some software is running, right? Like, and they have all the same set of problems and their own set of tools. Sometimes there are heterogeneous systems management tools that allow you to monitor and manage both of them, uh, but. You know, there it's sort of like at this point, and maybe this is some sort of like terrible her heresy, but like I don't think there's much of a difference between the two of them to solve your problem, right? It's almost the difference between my beloved Phillips head screwdriver and my loathed flathead screwdriver, right? It's sort of like, you know, they're sort of different, but not really. They They both will achieve the same thing. Well, I think it's the it's the old micro versus macro level. I think at a macro level, if you're just running a large data center or a large IT shop, you totally think that way. I think if you sat down and you said, okay, here, you're going to administer or run a bunch of 
you know, Linux RHEL servers, or you're going to, you know, manage a bunch of Windows servers, like obviously the skill sets, the interest, right, is going to be significantly different. So this is always back to like, how well are you aligned? And so, you know, back to that kind of your, you know, however you build the organization top down or bottom up, it's, I think you need to really kind of think both hand in hand. So if you are a long-term Windows, you know, a shop, right, and that's going to, you know, naturally, you know, kind of guide you towards like, well, we're going to pay Windows licenses. We're used to that. And we're going to, you know, build a staff around Windows knowledge bases, hopefully people that like, enjoy the Windows environment. And then ultimately, you know, we're going to drive that into our business outcomes, which would probably be the same no matter what you pick. So, so it's really, you do have to, like, I do think what is hard, I think, is when you just see these major disconnects where, you, and this is, I know, part of like your, your uh, you know, keynoting and thought leadership, right, is about digital transformation. It's like, okay, well, if you want to change the underlying technology or the platforms or things like that, like it, the tools and platforms do matter to people, like, you know, down below, right? The people that are going to do the work. So, like, really, you need to be thinking about, both building a team, retraining a team, or just like finding people that are in alignment. And and far too often, right? They're just they're just massive silos, right? They're just it's maybe the silos is there's just this huge gulf between people kind of thinking in a high level strategy and people doing the work. And that's that's often where you see like you know, and I think you can talk a lot a lot on this where digital transformation fails. It's just like when people pick technologies that are in, kind of incompatible with the current staff, or the current staff feels like they're they're not supported at all. And they're just like, well, nothing's going to happen, right? Everyone just does the same old thing. Yeah, you know, I, I was watching, uh, uh, you know, uh, I was aware that Delivery Conf was going on because we have advertised for it, you know, friendly That's right. here. And, and uh, yeah. I didn't actually go see it, right? But there was, there was one of, uh, uh, you know, there, there was, there was uh, some, some, uh, some typical uh, orthodox, DevOps or- orthodoxy going on, I think. I, I forget, well... I, you know, there's sort of the people who, who are saying, like, you know, unless you follow all the rules and do everything, you're not going to be the high performers. And and it kind of like, uh, uh, you know, peeled away this this scab that I finally had for a while, which is sort of like, uh, yeah, do companies ever actually really change how the way they do anything? And like <laughs> and like, I don't think they do. And yet I can do online banking on my phone still. Which is to say, like, there certainly are, and and I don't know if any of the following is true, but it's just sort of like, you remember that that movie that's about like some nuns or something? I think it's maybe called Doubt or something, and it has what's her name, very famous actress, and at the end, she used to be a very strict, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's got it's got it's got what's his face in it, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and he plays mm-hmm. like some sort of bad priest. I think I think it's unclear. I forget. But at the end, she was very strict and everything, and she finally like breaks down and she's like, "I have doubts just about like everything," <laughs> and like so, you know, every 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 time, every now and then, I sit and I'm sitting out in the courtyard on that park bench, and I'm sister whatever, and I'm like, "Oh, I, I have doubts," and it just seems like I've talked with large organizations a lot, and there's a lot of them that go through change and they do things differently, and I've seen it like in person, like at. Uh, like at Duke Energy, you can go down to Optimus Hall there, aptly named, and like see see what we're all talking about in action. Uh, but then it's also sort of like I don't know, or 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 maybe like you just need a better mobile app, and mm-hmm. you're cool. Like it it is like there's something miscalibrated between like on the one end, I think you have like let's say Jez Humble, and on the other end you have my life insurance company where I had to download and fill out a PDF and mail it. Right. Right. And like, 
And and I feel like both of those sides think that there's nothing in between. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like calibrating on that between is like it gets very uh uh depressing if if mm-hmm. I think about it more. Yeah, well I think there you know there's some famous quote I'll paraphrase I don't think it's right but it's like you know like a person underestimates or sorry a person overestimates what they can do in a day but they underestimate like the change that can happen in a year and i think that kind of applies to this kind of thing and so to your online banking example it's a good example it's like if we look at banking and certainly just in our lifetimes right like the fact that like we went to like kind of you know, maybe we were on the the cusp of like ATMs just becoming popular, and then there was this idea of like online bill pay, and then you know, kind of just transferring money online. So you kind of look over the 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 long period of this, you know, say twenty, twenty five, thirty years, whatever, right? Banking has been transformed, right? Everything about it, everything can be done online, all the different financial projects, and um, you know, and sometimes we talk about. I know I've mentioned it before. It's like, oh, you know, the, the real problem people have is they've got like, you know, you know, a thousand applications running on five thousand VMs, right? Like that's what they're facing today. But another way to look at that is like that is the digital transformation of like the two thousands. It did work, right? The fact that they have a thousand different applications running on VMs that all do discrete app things that were probably paper-based processes before that are all now, you know, we just take for for granted all the automation. In fact, we don't even take it for granted. We complain about it, like, especially here in the U.S. It's like, why can't I just transfer money, like, instantaneously on my bank account? Why do I need to use Venmo? But but there has been this great, you know, uh, IT revolution, and we mm. do get a lot of benefits for it. So when looked at it from that perspective, I think it makes sense. It's just like our day-to-day lives are like, you know, what are we going to do? Like, just think about it. Like, and you know, I know it's OKRs now, but like your M, you know, what are your MBOs? What are like, you know, your, your, and really those are often measured quarterly or maybe annually, but like it, it can take for a large organization. Like these are multi-year efforts that like, frankly, lots of people come and join a company and like they pick up the baton, they move it forward a little bit, but it's like a yeah. five or 10 year process. And there isn't really no, most of the time, there aren't that many people that made it the full 10 years to look back and they're like, you know, like hundreds of people, but, but change does happen. And we just sort of like, you know, it's like, we just, we, we take it all for granted. Right. And then we all, and then we kind of complain about like the new thing, not working. Right. Yeah. It's the nature of human beings. I think that's right. And I, and I think, I think banking is, uh, is always a good example. One, as I would, as I like to joke in my talks, right. Like, you know, unless, unless you bank at the global mattress firm, we all know banking, right? Like we're all, <laughs> we're all customers of it, especially if you've showed up at some place where I'm speaking. Uh, and then also I think, I think out of all sectors, I don't, I, I don't want to say the most cause I don't know this is true, but they spend, they're in the top five ca- uh, industries that spend money on IT, right? And they're mm-hmm. always very, uh, you know, banks, banks understand the value of, of computering. Um, so and and it is I think exactly like as you were talking, I was thinking three things. One, like <laughs> I was writing about this in an aside in my newsletter recently. Like I apologize, but every now and then I'm the guy who's like, well, you know, in Europe. Uh, but like it is like when when you experience the way money is transferred in Europe, you're it's just like amazing, right? So back in the U.S., uh, basically it is I wouldn't say impossible, but it's structurally very difficult to just transfer money person to person. Right now, that's why things like Venmo exists and PayPal was such a big deal. Uh, but it's it's not just it's just difficult. You need a whole other system, or you you actually uh, send a paper check to someone through the mail is another popular way. But over in Europe, like within minutes, you just get someone's basically their bank account number, 
and uh, you put that in in your your thing, and then you put in a, a euro amount and done. It just does it right, like across all the banks. And so, you know that I think I think that kind of gets to this this thing that 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 I always think of is like, well, you know, the way that you like fix this problem, this is a very Matt Iglesias take on how to fix things is like, you, you go fix it, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like it, it's like, you know, to be all, you know, the Matt Iglesias analysis would be like, I mean, I know people talk about transferring money and how they want to solve that problem in the United States. But I, I mean, they, the banks could just get together and uh, do it. I don't know. <laughs> They just need to decide to do it. And I think, I think a lot of like, a lot of things like that are, do come down to just like, you should just decide to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and then, and then I think, but, but then this, I think this comes to yeah, another thing, which, which, which are making me, uh, a murky idea that you're making me clear up a little bit is I think, I think all the, the digital transformation talk, right? You know, all the stuff along the, uh, the Jez Humble life insurance PDF continuum. Uh, it's, it sort of tries to lump together two different things in, in one bucket. And it's not necessarily bimodal stuff, but like you got all your existing apps and like you just need to like incrementally improve them and make them suck less. <laughs> right. And, mm-hmm. and like what would be an example of that? Like, uh, I don't know. At my bank, one of, one of my banks, uh, like adding an address for someone to send a bill pay to is like very 2007. Like it's just ridiculous. Right. And whereas, for example, I ordered some Uber Eats tonight and I'm like starting to type in my address and it's like completing my address and filling it out. And, or, or, you know, I, I was uploading some presentations to noticed and like it, I told it just the city and the dates I gave their presentation. It's like, Oh, it's probably one of these conferences. So like, my bank could figure that out, right? They could just improve that as a weird example. Mm-hmm. But then there's things that are slightly more like, they're not quite the third thing, uh, but they're slightly more like, uh, like paying, paying with my phone, uh, right? Um, and you know, there's, there's stuff to like hook up to and you've got to integrate with Apple here and there, I'm sure. But like, in retrospect, it's not like that big of a deal that when I go to the Albert Hein, I can pull up my ABN debit card and just like wave the phone in front of the machine. Now, getting laying all that groundwork is as impressive as like building the highway system and, you know, making sure gas is places that you can stick in your car. But it's sort of like there was some point four years ago where Apple was like, all right, uh, compile the code now. <laughs> right? Like if you want to be able to have people pay with their phone, you just sort of like integrate with our API and compile the code. And then it took my bank until it took this Dutch bank, ABN until like I don't know, 3 months ago to do it. And mm-hmm. and so like that that is like a, a a magical awesome thing, but it's also like kind of incremental. And then I you know, the I think maybe the also in that bucket is just like I've also started to realize that the whole paperless revolution is about 10% done. <laughs> right? Like like there are so many things that you just need that just need to be digitized. Right. But but like like just but like really digitized. Like there might be like like you know the pass renewing a passport is is my canonical example. Like you can even it's a really half, maybe like a quarter ass system where you go, you can go to a, a, a web page and you fill out this form on a web page to renew your passport. And then 
you can then it creates a PDF that you print out. <laughs> and it's just like yeah. I, then, I don't. Yeah, you're just like, yeah. Why can't you just send that on, right? Yeah, yeah. And 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 uh, you know, that's good. But I mean, there's there's tons of stuff like that, and and I often come across. Um, you know, another instance of this, I think, is sort of like you always hear about uh, pilots and their flight bags. They have iPads to read what I assume are giant PDFs instead of actual printouts, which is which is better. But like, I don't know. A little weird. Anyways, and then there's this third category, which I think I think most people get really uh, overly obsessed with, and and that is like inventing whole new types of businesses that run on software. Like, I don't know, your Ubers or your Netflix or things like that. And like, I, I'm starting to think that maybe like if you analyze projects in those three categories, so basically just like incrementally updating your app so that it doesn't suck. Uh, and then like, you know, digitizing stuff that was paperless or like adding Apple pay capabilities. Uh, but then like inventing brand new, like lines of business and products that are driven by software. Like if you apply the same criteria of analyzing if people are doing a good job and what they should be doing, like, it seems like it's maybe going to be misaligned, which is to Mm -hmm. say like, you can probably I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's like we 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 use the same stick of judging the quality of people's ability to make software for the across these three different categories. When maybe like they just need to like program better, not like <laughs> do digital transformation right. of their entire well, but org. I think what you have there, I think you have like a variation of the you know, Mark Adreesen's uh, software eating the world kind of rift. It's sort of because like go back to like the Uber being you know um, one of the canonical examples. It's like well, you know there was a point where it's like if we were starting a company, what we would do is build better scheduling software and then go sell it to taxi corporations, right? But what I think you're identifying there is that you know that's sort of like kind of back to the passport thing. It's like well if we did that, it would still be really really slow and it still really wouldn't fundamentally change the way people get rides right like that's and i think there's a lot of examples of like selling software to big industries and they kind of just do the same thing so you know and reason are one of the variations of software eating the world is like no no to really un to unleash the value to capture if you will the potential value of that is like you need to start the new company right and that's for, sort of the uber the airbnbs the netflix like those are all the examples that we use over and over again so I think what you're talking about or one of the ways to kind of think about any company or any new technology, it's what's going to be the fastest way for this to get adopted and really create a new a new yet user uh, experience, usually some type of like uh, consumer sup- surplus. How will I as a consumer you know, get more value from it? And then who's best to deliver that? So in the case, at least for the moment, we could say, and again, sometimes like we, sometimes it takes a while for it to figure out like, I think that for a while we were like, for sure, Uber and uh, Lyft and Airbnb, like that's definitely the way to do it. But now there's been all these regulatory issues. It's like, wait a minute, you could see there's a, at least a avenue of history or potential future history here of, um, well, maybe the taxi cab companies just need to adopt. And like here in Austin and other places, they have very similar apps. Maybe because the unrest around Uber drivers and the work, like we actually want this software to be folded back into the industry. That's one way of going, right? And I would say be more like, hey, just buy the software or or kind of like, or maybe Uber and Lyft, they, they straighten it. You know, we're just kind of going through in a period of unrest. It just needs to get straightened out. But those companies going forward will figure it out. But then you flip it around and you take something like banking, right? And I think what you're talking about before, it's like 
banking, I think we, we view as like very, uh, a serious industry. We all take, um, you know, we all have a, a vested stake in the banking industry, not like you can't just like, you know, experiment with it and just like, Oh, it just went out of business. Right. You know? So, so in that case, like we do like bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, like we want these like older, like reputationally sound companies. We can even argue if that's a, a valid today, but like we want them to adopt new software for us and slowly like, okay, 20 years ago was an ATM. Then I got a little online, uh, just online accounts where I could sign up. Then I got online bill payment, right? And then now I'm getting Apple Pay, you know, or, or some kind of NFC. But we like this incremental thing because we feel like it's a little safer that way. And, you know, in, in every industry and every technology, like it kind of has to go through this process to figure out what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good thinking. You know, two more things and then we should move on from this topic or I'll just talk a bunch of nonsense or more nonsense. But, you know, I it would be an interesting thought experiment. Like maybe a lot of this like, you know, uh, digital transformation, high performing DevOps talk is like scares people off too much. And really, you just got to be like, hey, it's not a big deal, man. Like you can do it. Don't don't freak out. It's not crazy. It's not revolutionary. Like it's just a, a normal thing to do. Whereas like, you know, when you when you sort of fly in, metaphorically speaking, sometimes literally and you're like, we got to change your whole organization around. Uh, that seems a little um, outlandish. And then, you know. I wish there was, you know, sort of like more analysis. Maybe this is a conspiracy theory of business, but there was more analysis of, of one of the things you were hinting at there is like, you know, the reason these software eating the world companies become successful is because they don't have to play by the rules of other companies. And not only that, they, they find subsidies in like ways of they find loopholes in regulations and things that they don't have to do. And then also like, you know, they just people just give them money <laughs> like <laughs> like they don't have to be profitable. And like it's it's sort of like. You you know like if and and I guess we I mean we we're starting to see that kind of play out but it's like well if basically like with with your Airbnbs and your uh, your Ubers and I'm trying to think if there's another example but like with those things it's sort of like you know yeah sure like if if Marriott didn't have to follow regulations or be profitable or pay taxes blah, 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 like they could probably do some awesome stuff too. And people just gave them money. Like, so it is, it is like, there is something structurally weird there, which then goes to the third thing. Like I, I, every now and then I see these articles of like, why can't big companies be innovative? And I don't know. I, after all these years, I've never found a, a good solution for it. But that said, hey, when you're done with this podcast, you should listen to Arrested DevOps because they are a lot more concrete in things they talk about. Uh, you know, I think I think they got they got interviews with people. They actually talk about technology things and not uh, not just the mysteries of uh, subsidizing software eating the world business models by uh, allowing people to to skirt profitability and uh, and regulations, local zoning ordinances, and things like that. I think you know. I think the genius of the Airbnb thing is like I I, lo I love those. Uh, uh, I like I like what would you call it? Sort of revolutions that have this middle person in them, and the way that they do it is they find all the people like citizens who like mm -hmm. can make extra money by renting out their house, 
And they, instead of, it's kind of like, not like a petition, like a direct voting thing, but it's sort right. of like you build up this constituency of people who like suddenly realize they they can make this extra money. And then, the, you know, the city government and the NIMBY people get upset. And then all the people are kind of like, oh, but but I like the extra money. And then, boy, that's a fun field to like play around in. Uh, if, if, uh, but do you think, I, I don't know, I, on so many of these companies, I feel like, because there are, I mean, I think all your points are valid. Uh, I just often wonder, it's like, hey, to have these to to raise these questions, you kind of have to do this. Like, so, for example, like it just was Uber and B, Airbnb are just a good example. It's like, it's like, OK, like, should we just allow because I've often wondered that even before a cab, I was like, man, it's hard to get a cab. I wish I could just like pay someone to take me here. Right. Like someone's got a car. And so, I mean, I think a lot of people had that kind of feeling. So it's like but the only way to really test the question I think in a meaningful way is to like start doing it, right? Because then you just start to have the conversation, right? And then, and I think it's messy. It's just always messy. Then people can start to do it. It's like, well, yeah. actually, I think you're, because people can say it's like you're violating existing rights. Like if you go read the, the book on Uber, you know, they actually came out and didn't do the traditional ride sharing, right? They entered through the black car yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing. And, um, and then it was actually Lyft that actually did the pure ride sharing thing. But I guess, it, but they, their case was like, I actually don't believe these regulations prohibit this, and it's not clear. So it's like it's like everything in like you know I guess you know American democracy and maybe every or just markets in general. Well, then it has to be litigated, right? You know, it's like well we kind of have to figure it out, and then every stakeholder can kind of come to the table, right, and say like no, this we want to pass more strict laws or we want to relax the laws, and um and it's just like I like to me it's just the the, the sausage making of new ideas. It's just like, this is what we have to go to. It's like, it would be great if we could just have a meeting. Everyone like, um, kind of like here in the United States, we're having impeachment. It's like, here's the schedule. Everyone gets 24 hours, make mm. your great thing. And then we'll vote at the end. Like we'll vote if we have Uber. It's like, but it's just, that is not the way the world works. No, it's like no, no, no. people testing these things. We have to argue about it. And there's like political action committees and it's messy, but I mean, eventually it does kind of figure it out. Like, so maybe the Uber Lyft one and Airbnb, it's like in the middle, but like, you know, 10 years from now, it'll be figured out. Like there'll be some common understanding of this is how it is. Yeah. Um, and, and then we'll be on to like something else, some other type of argument. Right. Um, and it's just I don't think there's any way avoiding this process. Yeah. But you definitely want to listen to Arrested DevOps. It's a good yeah, podcast. Check it out. You, you sure. know, you know, speaking of that, I wanted to get I, I only did a shallow reading of, mm-hmm. of the uh, senators wearing Apple watches to Senate hearings. <laughs> and I read I read two articles. I, I read it in my Apple News experience, which is nice. Uh, and, you know, the secret of Apple News is they have some curated news and then they just suck in RSS feeds from other places. I think, oh, okay. I think is what they do, which, which you know, is fine. It's fine. Uh, I've also started using Nuzzle a lot more recently, and I think, I think, I think I got a good feel for what's going on with that. Um, so I tried to track down, like, is is there a law or a rule being broken here? And I only read two articles, and and I read one in Roll Call, which is like, uh, it is it is the sort of like tradition or convention, or people were asked senators u.s senators when they were in these impeachment hearings not to bring electronics in so that they could you know pay attention or something and like so i should track this down more but it made me start thinking like well you know it's sort of like when you go to a meeting and they say like don't use your laptop or your phone and then like everyone uses their laptop and their phone (laughs) so so like whatever right I, i mean on the other hand if it was sort of like you know and maybe this is the case. I try not to read too much uh, U.S. politics stuff so that Kim has something to talk to me about. 
because she sure doesn't cover Kubernetes and, you know, software development. Um, and, and like maybe if there's some top secret hearings and they weren't supposed to have any recording devices and they brought those in, well, one, good job security people. Uh, that's something. But like, I don't know, like it doesn't seem like a big deal. Like they're probably pretty boring. And like, like, what are you going to, I don't know. People should be yeah, able to Well, I think Apple it is. Watches, there is so. actually, um, that's, that's what that the article sort of pointed out, like people who are quote unquote violating the rule. But there is a Senate rule, I guess, in this, for these hearings that they can't have electronic devices. And of course, like everything, it's always like, you know, a penalty of jail time or something. So it's Ooh. always like everything so has no, like a big, no electronic big, devices, yeah. except maybe hearing aids or. You know, yeah, I, well, there's probably some, some of that, but there's a, have, uh, that article goes on to show basically here are the people that, um, you know, I, I think it's like five or six uh, senators who have it. So which is kind of interesting. And so they're just kind of like it's just kind of because I think their point was just sort of like, oh, well, you know, suddenly sort of like the wearable category yeah, starts yeah, to get like this default, like, well, you don't mean my watch. You know what I mean? Because I'm wearing it. It's different exactly. than if I carry my phone in. And so that that is kind of an interesting question. Um, but like, I agree. Like, I don't know. You know, this is just back to, uh, I, you know, I guess it's sort of like not acknowledging reality. Like, I don't know anyone that could sit down and especially in a like a semi uncomfortable chair for eight hours to just watch people lecture and talk. Like, it's just, yeah, it's yeah. Just not, it's not possible as a human being to, to like consume information that way. So, um, so it's just kind of a throwback to a time that like, maybe never existed. I don't think there was ever a time where people were like, I'm going to watch someone just talk for eight hours, much less giving a presentation, you know, even if it's split amongst people, like, you know, after about, I think, you know, I think the uh, Ted talk people figure out, like, I think it's like 17 minutes. It's like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. after you've talked 17 minutes, people are generally zoned out. So I don't know what people are doing eight yeah. hours into it. It'd be pretty brutal. Yeah. And, and I, you know, and I think, I think, I think, you know, I was, I've been listening to too much. Uh, what's the, what's the podcast that I'm, that I'm trying to like now with, with uh, professor Pivot, Galloway. Pivot yeah. I've yeah. been listening too much to that and, and their format of basically just like, you know, uh, being con- contrarian to everything. And then, and then every now and then surprisingly saying that someone is a uh, great or gangster or whatever, maybe mm-hmm. it's, it's getting into my head, but Maybe I was trying to be too contrarian, and I agree with the premise that you were just laying out there. To extend it more is sort of like, like, what do you want me to use a paper and a pencil? Like, I take notes on my laptop, man. Like, it's, and also, like, I'm not going to bring in a briefcase full of papers that I need to correlate. Like, I need to have, like, Evernote here so I can search for things. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just, there's something weird going on with that, which, which, which is, it's almost like, because it's like the because it's like the Senate and all official, I feel like I feel like you're not supposed to say that rule is stupid. <laughs> like like that it's just clearly like there's no there's no reason for it to exist. And uh, yeah, I think the I proper know. word is antiquated. Right? Antiquated. Like, Thank we're, you. We're talking Thank about you. the history. It's an antiquated rule. Antiquated. Like, yeah. yeah, it's just really weird. But that. That's what I got on that topic, Brandon. <laughs> oh, good, good. Well, I mean, I do think it's worth talking. Like, I have been—I don't know if you've been following it, but like, I'm—I am. Uh, it's not so much we have to talk about, but like, I'm just fascinated with the uh, the eight, uh, Jeff Bezos uh, phone hacking thing. Oh yeah, I've yeah, been, yeah. Like, I've been reading like nonstop about. So get, not get, so much the like uh, the politics of it, just like I really and there, I finally found one. There's a pretty good article in the show notes. It was the technical report. So somebody got a hold of the technical report. Because I was like, well, what is this? So it's an iPhone that he was using. He was using the WhatsApp uh, app. And I guess they sent him a video. They believe a video that was infected with a 
uh, downloader. But then beyond that, it sounds like they weren't really able to like figure out like what what exactly went on. So, um, but it's like a fascinating look into just um, you know because we always like I've said this a lot like hey if an if you're attacked by a nation state, there's, I mean, there's very little you can do. And I think this is a good example. Like if, an, uh, as reported here, if a, a trusted, even if a trusted, if a, a fellow uh, head of a country and you know, some official sends you a link, I mean, it's the ultimate spear phishing. Like the person is actually sending you a link from <laughs> someone you believe is like a high importance that would never do this. Like, you know, and then you click on it and then, I mean, it's like you're just defenseless. So it's, and then of course, like, the, the, some of the people that developed this malware they talked about are like you know the, some of the most sophisticated people in the world doing it and it's just like it's just kind of it's just an interesting thing about like there is there are certain people in the world who probably should just not touch electronic devices like you're just yeah. there's no way to protect you uh, so that's a fascinating read if you're into mobile security or security in general like and you want to follow it like definitely read the technical report well, well maybe that's why there's a antiquated practice of only paper and pencil in uh... <laughs> In, in the, well, in the whatever. And so you have to bring in those – in your cufflink, you have to have one of those tiny cameras that you have to move back and forth yeah. if you want to take a picture of something. That's probably uh, – Well, I know they have them. I think they call them in, uh, in the uh, – I guess the, the Congress, the building, right? Um, you know, or in the White House, they have like – I think it's called skiffs. Basically, they're basically places oh, yeah. that – you have to leave your electronic devices out and they're like swept and stuff like that. So it's like it's just a whole nother set of problems for for people like you're just like, wow, like these people do exist uh, with these like high value targets. And there's like, you know, it must suck to just be that person. Right. And there's like, what can you do? I mean, like, I mean, how could you even like everybody you text is potentially, you know, after you. So mm. it's like maybe just put the iPhone away. So so what, what, just just briefly, I haven't read any of the stories. I just saw the headlines. But what was the whole premise of the the, the Bezos phone hacking? Is it just like everyone wants all the information and they'll do something well, with the leader case, or is it right, more like targeted the leader uh saudi arabia and mbs was basically right, right, trying right. to get information um off incriminating information off his phone to essentially because he owns the washington post to intimidate him to like stop, uh, him, okay, stop okay. covering them and then uh then of course like famously i think some most people like jeff bezos actually like i think i don't know, I can't remember six months ago here but he actually came out and said like Listen, they have these new pictures of me. I'm not gonna like. That's right. I'm just gonna, and so he's come out and said it. But then there was speculation. I forgot that about pictures that. Came from like the his uh, I guess his mistress's brother, like a strange brother, like somehow got him off her iPhone. Huh. And it was always like, I guess I took that at face value. Like, ah, okay, sounds I guess right. And then now it's come out. I was like, no, now they believe it's this other infiltration. But again, like even when you read, even when you read through the technical stuff, people are like, hmm, there's a lot missing here. So I think it's just a fascinating story. Like I don't, like, yeah, I don't yeah. know exactly how it worked, but I'm interested in just like watching it, like get kind of like yeah. um, examined. I, yeah, I remember, you know, I, I I was skimming through that stuff and looking at the the pictures because I wasn't reading it, and I was thinking like, oh yeah. There's all these other governments and people who want to hack into everything else. It's not just like the Russians, Americans, and Chinese. Like mm-hmm. everyone wants your stuff, which, which of course makes sense. It also, it also, you know, it makes me as as far as like you know the uh, uh, blackmailing photos. Like maybe Elon Musk has it all figured out. He's like, hey man, I'm just gonna be crazy. So like <laughs> everything crazy that I do, I'm just gonna get some lawyers to cool, you know, clear it with the SEC and and the cave rescue people. And I'm just yep. I'm just gonna be out there. Do what I want to do. Yeah, right? and, and that way, like, there's no, like, it paying paying the uh, paying the legal settlement taxes is gonna be cheaper than being blackmailed 
uh, yeah. and, and, and tanking the company. And that way, all the analysts, they can build my craziness into their valuations. Yeah. <laughs> right. Instead of it. Well, but it does kind of tie back to what you're saying before. It's like, you know, another kind of thread around this was, you know, there's been all this talk this week about Apple, you know, obviously encrypting on the phone, but not encrypting iCloud backups. And I think, you know, kind of mm-hmm. to our previous discussion, you know, like I think what we're having right now is kind of this like ongoing discussion of like like who gets to use encryption, what's encrypted, and like when do you have like let's call it absolute privacy, right? Like when is like is there a time that you can you as a citizen right can say like you know because like, today right like your your paper analogy is like if you really wanted something to be like 100 percent secret like write it on a piece of paper, probably put it in uh, a uh, right. safe deposited box, right? And like and encrypt it and just keep all of it on paper, right? That would be very hard to break, almost impossible, and that's not against the law. And then I guess the question would be going forward: It's like, well, does everybody automatically get this if they use a phone? And then of course is like, well, does everybody's phone automatically get this encryption? Um, and there's like lots of pro con arguments on either side. So again, like this will probably be worked out in the next you know decade or so of like, well, like what what kind of agreements are we going to come to as like a nation as a yeah. people as a citizen but it's a thorny issue and then you watch and i think it is interesting to watch both sides of this is like i don't it's not 100% analogous but like watching the jeff bezos things well that's a good case for like man i want a more secure device right cuz look what can happen and then of course there are <laughs> yeah. negative examples of like Hey, these people are doing really bad things. We need to go see what they're talking about that is so that is a good we'll see uh, what happens. that that is a good hopefully purely coincidental thing where like you know Week one, there's also this discussion about how Apple needs to make it so people can, people being the government, can break into their phones. And then the next week, it's like, hey, look what happens when people can break into your phones. Right. <laughs> like it's exactly. a good, it's a fine pairing of uh, two sides of the uh, the discussion. Well, do we have any uh, any feedback or anything to go over? Uh, just, uh, just some quick feedback here. Uh, one, want to thank uh, uh, a good friend of the show, Chip from Austin. He, uh, he got a new computer, so we sent him some uh, new stickers. And if you want a sticker, just email your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. I'll be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. Got a couple of new conferences, uh, DevOps Day Minneapolis. That's back, right? August 6th mm-hmm. and 7th. Our friend uh, Bridget of Arrested DevOps, she gave us a 10% off registration or discount code just use the letters sdt and thank thank bridget for making the code very easy and yes also in the uh in the show notes uh, we've got devops days uh in austin may 4th and 5th uh looks like you know i think we're gonna have some software defined talk uh activity there so you guys should everyone should definitely go and you'll see me maybe cote maybe other people we have our friends at kubecon uh, eu they've got a nice uh long uh discount code i won't read and then our uh friend uh listener brett he wants you to go to the that conference in august 3rd through the 6th and that one's in wisconsin so we've got a lot of opportunities for those that live in the south that want to like venture to uh i guess we'll say the north uh midwest of the united states really be a great time to cool off and go to minneapolis <laughs> or you can go to wisconsin so i need to find a way because i always tell people especially here in austin uh, I just need to leave in August, like anywhere. Yeah. I, so I need to go. I need, you know what I need to do? I need to find a way to go. Yeah, to you're going to go to Minneapolis. That'll be great. You uh, know, what, what, what I noticed about the, uh, as it's called that conference, it's at the Kalahari Resort in Wisconsin. Do you think they serve calamari at the Kalahari Resort? Because that would just be really fun, right? The Kalahari Calamari. I could say that. I can, I can order it. <laughs> that, you know, they got the, the waiter there and he comes and, and, they, and they squat at your table and they're like, have you eaten here before? 
And then yeah. he tells tells me about the calamari kala kalahari calamari. Oof, I can't even say it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll probably I, I I need to fi- finish my registration, but I'll be at the uh, the KubeCon EU in Amsterdam on March thirtieth. I think I think the and they gave us a it's a fifteen percent discount code. You should see you you as you said you should go to the show notes. Uh, it's at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash two fifteen. Uh, and also, uh, I had something else I was going to say, but but I totally <laughs> forgot. So so with that, what do you have to recommend this week, Brandon? I've been uh, watching the latest HBO show called The Outsider. I think it premiered a couple weeks ago, so it's three episodes out. So this is a it's a um, Stephen King novel, kind of mashed up with a police procedural, and it has uh, Jason Bateman in it, and uh, I've enjoyed it. Like I'm three episodes in, and I think they've all been good. I think it's like a ten episode kind of thing, but it is the thing that I think is interesting about it. It sort of has like the Stephen King kind of uh, whatever horror mystery going to it, but like mm. the, what I like about it is it just sort of it doesn't take place in a world where there's like no technology. We're like, well, like, wouldn't there be video of that? Like, it actually kind of like it takes place in a world. It's like, wait a minute, we they have video of all these different things, right? They like mm. go to like, oh, the, the bank was recording or so. So they're just kind of doing like the obvious things that you think would really happen, where maybe like a supernatural thing may or may not thing is happening. So I kind of like it. It's kind of a cool like vibe. Yeah, that's around a good it. premise. And I and I don't like I'll I'll, I'll preface it saying like. I know this is maybe is this wrong to say like I don't really like Stephen King that much like I can't I've tr- I never read his <laughs> books like I know that's probably wrong but uh, I like when other I do like when people take his ideas and like kind of like I would say massively edit them I'm always like oh that's a yeah. lot better when it, like shorter so if you like Stephen King you like police procedurals you like kind of interesting mystery shows check out The Outsider yeah I think the only book of his I've ever read was uh, was it just because I watched the remake of the movie and I was curious and man. Yeah, if all of his books are like that, just very, very expansive. And, you know, just just like we'd settled on the word antiquated instead of another word, expansive. They're very <laughs> expansive stories. Uh, well, my recommendation, uh, I uh, uh, I watched today, uh, listeners may remember one of our one of our uh, community members, Tasty Meets Paul. He, he I, I watched his most recent video. I think it's like spring into Kubernetes from uh, the Warsaw Java users group. And uh, it's great. It's like, uh, let's see, it's first, it, it's opening, it's in Poland, you know, Warsaw. So there's about 10 minutes at the at the beginning of someone from Circle K who sponsored the event speaking in Polish, I assume about how you should come work at Circle K. So that part's fun. Because do you remember Circle K, Brandon? That used to be a... A thing. Yeah, like vaguely. I don't. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I haven't seen one in a while. Yeah. They, I, I, they, they're. I think they're. You know, they're still around. I, I think it is in Poland where I would see them a lot. Okay. But anyways, Circle K at, at the. Uh, is that a, is that a quick stop with the with? I forget what their their name was. Yeah, you remember? Sure. Do you remember that one that was like a wiener dog? That's one that was around for a while, like the wiener dog convenience store. Um, anyhow, uh, it's a great talk. You should go look. I'll, I mean, I'll have a link to it in the show notes. But it's uh, then the rest of it. It's basically like an hour and fifteen minutes, and he very rapidly goes over like what Kubernetes actually is, the different components of it, like kind of like a little bit of what it, what the style, the architectural style and intentions are, and then he shows you deploying a, a Spring application on there. And uh, and then there's some good commentary, which I think is is useful. You know, my my multi-year thing with Kubernetes is always like every time I hear something about a new uh, you know new project in the Kubernetes community, uh, I realize that like Kubernetes didn't do that, and I had assumed it had done that the whole time. But like he does a good job, kind of like 
if you're paying attention, painting the picture of like how little Kubernetes actually does and how all this other stuff you need to wrap around it. But then there's an interesting, like, in my mind, like an interesting thing that he kind of points out is like, well, you know, you've got like the the config maps in here and you've got like routing in here for load balancing. And so he has this interesting little side conversation of like, should you be using these things directly or should you be instead like wrapping other stuff around them, right? There's basically like uh, routing between all, you know, between all the nodes in your distributed application, between the containers, uh, I don't know, that are running in the pods or whatever the lingo is. Um, and like you can define this routing and, you know, it's sort of like, so should you just use that or do you need to have an entirely new overlay of doing things? And like, should I just store things in the, in the, 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 uh, the config maps, which are just big name value databases and kind of access that directly? Or do I need to layer something on top of it? And he doesn't have an answer to it, but it does like, it, do, it does shove me down that distressing, uh, that other path that I commonly go down to, which eventually ends up with like, doesn't the internet just do all of that, uh, that, that we come to so often, but it's a good talk. People should watch it because it clarifies a lot of things. And it's from, um, I think early December. So it's new. Timely, very timely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny cause he delivers it. So like monotone and like seriously, uh, and then every now and then he's got a little joke in there and he quickly goes past some like joke in a slide. But it's there's there's a there's a delightful contrast between how like hilarious and snarky he usually is. And he's like got his total professional tone going there. Uh, is so, there any pictures of food? He's always posting pictures, he have pictures of, like, of, food. of food. He's always cooking some good stuff. This right? is a good point. I'm not sure there's a picture that of should food be his. There. That should be his thing. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's always like. It's always like very sophisticated or unusual. He's always yeah. like, I made, you know, yeah. Japanese wraps with them. I was like, wow. It's like I just made myself a sandwich, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he maybe has even cooked with beer, bear fat before. Yeah. Which yeah, I think I think a good good follow on Instagram yeah. or Facebook. One of the others. He's a lot of interesting. Well that's food. that's why we call him Tasty Meets Paul. Chris. Yeah, no, that's he's he's earned his name. He, yeah. he definitely he can cook. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. If you want to uh, get the show notes for this episode, all the things we referenced, uh, you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 215. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Daddy. Hey, can you say bye? Bye. LSP, where are you? Are you okay? It sounds like she's in there. Ah, gross. Ah, my lumping butt is all hollow now. I gotta put something in it. So where's the food? What kind of castle is this? It's like a poor people's castle with no lumping waffles for my duck truck.